As we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, we've been noting some of the major themes as we've been journeying through the Scriptures together. Themes like the supremacy of Christ over the law, the need for an inner relationship with Christ, and not just an outward-focused religion based off of what we do, but based off of our friendship with God that we can we have been so blessed to be allowed to have. Not just this outer-centered, works-based religion. And recently I mentioned a theme that there is only one real hero in the Gospels, and really in the whole New Testament altogether. And that one hero is Jesus Christ alone. And I've made a few nods at this in recent sermons, and I wanted to take a minute to really unpack what I mean by that. Because when you think about it, if I were to ask you who were the great men of faith in the New Testament, who would you say some of those men might be? And as you think it over, you might think, oh, well, maybe Paul the Apostle, you know, the great missionary that brought the gospel to the ends of the earth, the person who wrote some two-thirds of the New Testament when you consider the number of books that were written. And you might say, oh, maybe he would be one of these great men of faith. But in Scripture, funny enough, he would be one of the first people to reject that title. In fact, 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul called himself the chief or foremost of sinners because of his role persecuting the church in his former life as a Pharisee. So he certainly wouldn't have called himself a great man of faith. And certainly the other apostles couldn't receive too much acclamation for themselves either, deserting Jesus on the night of his betrayal, hiding in an upper room during, uh, before Pentecost happened. Or that one incident where they asked Jesus if they could call down thunder from heaven to consume some people. Very Christ-like of them, as you could imagine. (laughs) But then, amongst all of that, as we consider these points, then there is Peter. Then there's Peter. Peter was perhaps the most prominent of all the apostles. He was often the one to speak up on behalf of the apostles, uh, as he does in Acts chapter 2 and Matthew 16. Moreover, when, when Jesus was going to go somewhere exclusive, something that where only a few of the other apostles would go to, it would always be Peter along with James and John. They were the three among the twelve that Jesus really took time pouring into. So Peter really had the most time with Jesus and often spoke up on behalf of the group. And surely if Christianity was a typical Greek story, a product of the times, well, Peter would have been the skilled protege of Jesus. At least that's how he would have been written into the story. If you were making this stuff up, he would have been learning in leaps and bounds above his peers, excelling in love and wisdom and knowledge and skill. (laughs) Yeah, that's not Peter. That's not the Peter I read in the scriptures. Rather, rather than being an exceptional student, it's actually easier to count the number of times where Peter speaks up without being corrected by Jesus. He has foot and mouth disease. He often puts his foot in his mouth as he's speaking. 
And as we look at a sample of some of his mistakes this morning, we will see many applicable lessons for ourselves along the way as we sample his mistakes and maybe see one or two overarching encouragements that we can be encouraged by this morning when we consider some of the failures of Peter. After all, as my grandfather used to say, it's often much easier and less painful to learn from someone else's mistakes, isn't it? If we can learn that way, we ought to. So the first failure of Peter that I want to highlight this morning is what I would like to call some of his poor judgment. His poor judgment. James 1.19 says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But this doesn't classify Peter in most of recorded scripture. Rather, Peter has a tendency to be very quick to speak. In fact, in Mark chapter 9, during the uh, Mount of Transfiguration passage, it says Peter spoke up because he didn't know what to say. (laughs) How funny is that when you think about it? (laughs) I've heard it said that a wise man speaks because he has something to say, but the fool speaks because he has to say something. It's a very large difference between those two. <laughs> and look, we all stumble into awkward speech from time to time. I'll be the first to say that's me. But this is a pattern of Peter's throughout the Gospels. He also, in part of his poor judgment, acted presumptuously, I believe, in our first reading in Acts chapter 1 during the choosing of Judas's replacement. See, Peter saw rightfully a pattern. Like, okay, we have the 12 tribes of Israel, and now in the New Testament we have the 12 disciples. But Judas left his post. So we got to put somebody else in there. We can't leave one of them missing. Something's here. This isn't a coincidence. So we have to replace this guy. So he gets a bunch of guys together who meet the biblical requirements to be an apostle. And he says, Lord, which of these two men have you chosen to be the, the, the 12th apostle? And the, some of you guys might be able to pick up, hold on, where's the problem here? Well, you gave God a very limited choice. Which of these two You ever wonder, maybe there's a third option. Maybe God has another plan in mind beyond just limiting it to these two. After all, when we think, how does God answer our prayers today? He answers our prayers today in one of three answers every time. He either says yes, he says no, and he says wait. Not maybe, he says wait. God doesn't need more time to make up his mind. He's not like me in that regard. But he says wait often because he has a bigger plan in mind than we might be able to wrap our minds around right now. So we wait. Sometimes that's the answer to our prayers. And I, I, I'm sure we could share stories, if uh, time permitted, of times where we were frustrated because God wasn't giving us the answer we were hoping for but because God had a bigger answer for us that he just needed us to wait a little bit longer on and see more options. I, for one, have grown grateful for some of those answer, one of those times where God has answered and said, just wait, just wait. And look, I I say all this because as good and godly a man as Matthias was, 
I mean, even giving his life as a martyr for the faith. I find it personally hard to believe that this spot wasn't reserved for Paul the Apostle. I mean, there's, there's no question that he had an undoubtedly larger impact on the church. As we said before, his resume is impressive. So I personally believe he was the, the true 12th apostle in that sense. But that's some level of speculation on my behalf. But getting practical, in your personal prayers and decisions, we ought to leave room for God to have bigger plans than we have and to open up our decisions to more than just, Lord, which of these two? I think that's a good applicable point for each of us this morning. But even but as we move forward, the second failure of Peter that I see is his little faith. His little faith. And we've been covering this pretty thoroughly as we've been going through Matthew, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But we see this all over the scriptures. In Matthew 14, Jesus rebukes his little faith after his failure on the waters, where he failed to walk on water despite being invited out by Jesus. And it seems from the context that the sound of the wind and the waves made his mind temporarily clouded to which was stronger. The wind... The waves, or the one walking on the wind and the waves. (laughs) Which was bigger? And at that moment in time, his God was not obviously bigger than the storm he found himself in. And it was described through this little faith. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all find ourselves in that place. We were asking the same wrong question. Which is bigger? And look, we we intuitively know the answer when we're asked the question directly. And Peter did too. Peter wasn't, you know, he wasn't foolish. He wasn't incapable of answering a question. But when asked the question directly, what is bigger, your God or your problems? We all know what the answer is. But the problem is, despite knowing the answer, we still don't act like it sometimes. That's our problem. Our problem isn't a logical problem or an intellectual problem. It's a problem of our own faith. It's a problem of our own trust and our own assurance of who God is and what his promises are. The question is, do we really believe that God is as good and as faithful to keep his promises as his word tells us he is? That's the question for us today. Not is God really bigger, is is God big enough for my situations, and is he really going to show up the way that he says he will? (laughs) I heard a humorous story some time ago of an African pastor who was experiencing a devastating drought in his region, so he calls the church together and he says, we're going to get together and we're going to pray for rain. And as and the, the word goes out, the church gathers, people come together for this special called prayer meeting. And just before they're about to begin, the pastor announces that the meeting's been canceled. The meeting's been canceled. Everyone's like, why? Why did you cancel this, pastor? We're all here. He said, he gave the best answer I've ever heard. He said, none of you have faith that God is going to answer. None of you brought an umbrella. We come to pray for rain and none of you brought an umbrella. Where is your faith? 
Now, I'm, I must nuance that because it could be taken the wrong way. Look, God is under no obligation to answer all of my prayers just because I say so. It's not gonna pray, it's not gonna rain or not rain just because I prayed a certain way. God's under no obligation to answer all of my prayers exactly the way I demand it. That's a false gospel. We don't believe that or profess that. But when we pray and act, but when we pray with zero expectation that God just might answer your prayer at all, well, that is an also likewise an insult to the love and the power of our God. He can answer. He often does answer these, these, even our biggest requests. God shows up in powerful ways. We ought to believe that He can. Because when we do pray and act like God is all-powerful and is all-loving, we just might see amazing things happen. That's good news this morning. Now, years ago, I was on a missions trip to Haiti. And uh, on the last night that we were there, I believe it was Hurricane Isaac just slammed the island that we were on. We were in a pretty good situation ourselves. We were personally okay, but... The storm devastated the power grid, devastated the roads, and we had a problem. Because we woke up the next morning, the storm had passed, but a lot of devastation was left behind. We woke up that morning, you know, thinking, you know, okay, our flight's going to get canceled. We might be marooned here for a while. We only brought enough supplies, you know, to last a couple more days. So we're like, okay, what's going on here? What Are we in trouble or something? But instead of really lamenting, we just, we just prayed. We had the audacity to ask God, okay, you know, Lord, we're in your hands. Do what you're going to do. Be glorified in whatever's about to take place. And we just asked, hey, if it is your will, Lord, make a way that we don't see right now. Get us out of here. And then, despite every reason after we prayed, believing that nothing would happen, we didn't see any way it could, but we just decided, you know what, let's pack our bags just in case something happens. Let's just see, you know, what just might happen. And then the next thing you know, <laughs> after we finally get all of our stuff together in the front room, our driver shows up saying that there's one airline fly- flying out of Haiti and it's ours. Thanks be to God, right guys? <laughs> uh, oh, and furthermore, they said we had to leave right now. So hurry on up. So thank God we had our bags packed. (laughs) I forgot to mention that. But then we get to the airport. We're just barely inside the doors. We're just barely in line. We're almost at the counter to get ourselves checked in for our flight. And the power goes out. We're like, oh boy, this is going to be a problem. (laughs) But then we just prayed again. You're just like, okay, God, you brought us this far. Let's let's just keep praying. You didn't bring us this far just to leave us here. So unless you've got a plan, God, here we go. And so we just prayed one more time, and then, you know, the power comes back on. System's all messed up, but we get just barely through the checkpoint to get on that next flight to get us out of there. It felt like a mere minutes between when we got past the gate and when the flight actually took off. Just praise God. Somehow we, may, somehow we managed to get through. And guys, I share that not because, you know, I had such great faith, but because God taught me so much that week. That trip fundamentally changed my prayer life. Fundamentally changed how I just have such faith and trust that if God's in it, God's going to work things out. And I can assure you, he will do the same for you. God 
listens to our prayers. He answers us. And God is able to show up in your situation too, whatever it is, whatever it just might be. But then we turn our attention to the final failure of Peter that we have time to address today. And that he also had, in addition to his little faith, he had a compromised faith. A compromised faith. Because not only was Peter failing to excel in the things of the faith, but there were times he just stood in absolute opposition to the things of Christ. We covered together back in chapter 16, where after the good confession, Peter was saying to Jesus, that, oh, you're not going to go to the cross, you know, far be it from you, Lord. These things will never happen to you. You're not going to the cross. And what did Jesus have to say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. Look, I've been corrected a few times by some people, some mentors, my parents. I was never called Satan before. This is pretty serious. To be completely against, as anti-gospel as you could be, there's nothing more central in the Christian faith than the cross. And and Peter was literally standing in Jesus' way at that point. That's a place you never want to be. Literally hindering the things of God. Pray for those who do. And furthermore, I hope for Peter's sake that there aren't roosters in heaven. Because if there are, those are going to remind him of probably the darkest moment in his life where he found himself denying that he even knows the Lord. Three times. Three times. First, he's telling Jesus what to do in his pride. Then the next thing that happens is He's denying that he even knows Jesus. And, you know, it doesn't even end there. Even after his resurrection, Peter still had to be rebuked of his compromised faith that we read about in our second reading this morning from Galatians chapter 2, where he had to be rebuked by Paul for slipping into legalism for, because he was separating from the Gentile believers Uh, where the Jews and the Gentiles were at one point, you know, gathered together. There was this beautiful unity together in Christ, and they didn't see a separation between Jew and Gentile anymore. As, you know, some of you remember, when we went through Galatians, we really harked on that point, because in Christ there is no Jew or Greek anymore. But he started acting that way once these Judaizers, these legalists, uh, from a particular camp came in there, he was like, okay, well, all right, let's separate from, from the Gentiles and let's go back to the way things used to be. But you can't do that with the things of the gospel. You can't put, it's a dangerous thing to rebuild the things that Jesus himself tore down. You guys remember what happened when Jesus was crucified? The veil was torn in the temple, the separation, all of the separations that we had put up, right down to the separation between God and man were torn down. And here he is starting to rebuild them. And as we consider these things, these are serious failures. These aren't little issues that can be just kind of brushed under the rug. Ah, let's not make a big deal out of this problem over here. It's, no, these are, if you're doing what Peter was doing in these passages, you and I are having a talk after service. 
You're in trouble. There needs to be serious repentance. You need to be set back on the right path if this is what you're doing. And the problem is, you know, we do. We do some of these things. It doesn't come up as obviously as as saying to Jesus, Lord Jesus, I'm going to stop you from doing that. It doesn't sound like that anymore, but here's what it sounds like. It sounds like when we say, oh, I know what the Bible says, but uh, I'm still going to do such and such anyway. It's the same thing that Peter's doing. It just comes out in a different vocabulary. You're acting just like Peter and uh, when Jesus called him Satan. Because that's exactly what Satan has been saying ever since the garden. Did God really say You think that's the last time Satan said that? It was only the first time. I assure you of that. And when we say, oh, I know what the Bible says, but I'm just going to disregard it. I'm going to sin anyway. I'm going to live a particular lifestyle that the Bible condemns anyway. I'm just going to go forward in my own pride. That is a dangerous place to be. And I love you guys enough to warn you out loud. Furthermore, likewise, we are like Peter when we, and we deny knowing Jesus in our words and our actions sometimes. Because when we live one way at church and we live another way at home or another way in our place of work that maybe contradicts the way that we speak, the way that we act, the things we confess here, we're doing the same thing Peter did. You're denying with your actions that which you confess with your lips. And that's a dangerous place to be. We are called as Christians to be consistent. We are called to be consistent in how we live our lives. And if we're not, we might just be like Peter. Denying that we even know Jesus. If if the people at the workplace or the people at the family reunion might say like, that person's a Christian, that's surprising to me. God help us. And lastly and quickly, we must also beware the lore of legalism, which I'm not going to hark on this point. We've covered it quite adequately in the scriptures, but we must beware beginning to trust in our identity or our actions to save us. Thinking, oh, well, I'm a good person. Of course God is going to accept me. The problem is the Bible doesn't say there are good people. The Bible says there are none righteous, not even one. Before a holy and perfect God, I can't claim to be righteous. I can't, I'm not going to appear to be good. I mean, when we compare ourselves to each other, that's one thing. But when we compare our, our sins to the glorious sinlessness of our holy and perfect Father, okay, now we begin to see, okay, we do have a problem. But no, rather, we need to trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross to atone for our sins and trusting in him alone, not in our identity, not in Paul or Peter boasting in their Judaism or any other title we could give ourselves. We must trust in him alone. Now, despite how grim this might look for our buddy Peter, I've painted a pretty grim picture here of all the failures of Peter, and I'm doing it on purpose. The good news is that Jesus wasn't done with Peter, nor was Peter done with Jesus. No, Proverbs 24 says, the righteous falls seven times and rises again, 
which is the good news this morning, and is exactly what Jesus enabled Peter to do. That despite these failures, despite denying Jesus even, Jesus restored Peter in John 21, asking him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Giving him a chance to say each time, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Why did he ask him three times? Because he denied him three times. You guys ever notice that? There's correlation there. It's no accident. Jesus gave him every opportunity to profess him even more times than he ever denied. And so the good news this morning is this, you know, I don't know what your personal story is. I don't know what your failures you yourself have experienced personally. We all have them. We've all experienced some failure of the faith. But the story of the scriptures is not one of achievement. It's one of redemption. The scriptures teach a story of redemption, not achievement. None of us are going to be boasting in our achievements when we get to heaven on the other side. We're not going to be waving around a resume of our accomplishments in heaven. Not one of us will be doing that. We'll all be grateful and proclaiming worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is Jesus for what He has done. We'll be rejoicing for eternity future that we have been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God that we stand before Him. We'll be so grateful that day for the blood of the Lamb that was shed to cover our sins. That's the good news. God doesn't use or need perfect people. If he did, there would never be a church. If God needed his church to be perfect, I wouldn't be allowed in. None of us would be. (laughs) And trust me, the longer you know me, the more you'll be aware of my own personal failures and flaws. (laughs) Some of you already know some of them. And I'm just personally grateful that I... And not in, like Peter is, a widely published biography detailing all of my failures. His just happened to be recorded in the best-selling book of all time. Kind of feel bad for the guy. I'd feel pretty terrible if that was me. Good gosh. Because otherwise, I'm sure some, some preacher somewhere could just compile a list of my failures into a sermon series on them. I'm sure. So there's some humility that has to be done here. But that's the good news. It doesn't matter what our personal resume looks like. Not nearly as much as it matters what Christ has done for me. That it's redemption, not my own work. But that he knew the depths of my heart, but he loved me enough the same to save me and to redeem me. And that's the good news That if God could use Peter, despite me having enough information to put together a sermon on his failures, guess what? He can use you too. That's great news. That is great comfort to me this morning. I don't know about you. But the gospel of grace is that we don't have to clean ourselves up to be accepted by God, to be used by God. No, grace means that God accepts me just as I am. And I can still be used for God's purposes and God's glory. Oh, that is so good. Should also be mentioned that, you know, God loves us just the way that we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. 
You know, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, that this is just the way that I am. I was born this way. Yeah, that's true, but that's why you need to be born again. God lets us, the, the, the good news is that God can work with anybody, but he, begin, he does begin just as we are, just as we are today. But we're not at the finish line yet. None of us are. God is still working on each of us. As he had great, as he accomplished great work, as we pray for God to do great work in ourselves, God did the same with Peter. He took him in one condition and did great things through him. Because despite all of these failures we've highlighted, Peter accomplished more than I could ever hope to do. I mean, just look at Acts chapter 2. He preaches a sermon where thousands of people give their life to the Lord. Thousands of people repent and are saved. Wow, I haven't done that. Furthermore, he faithfully led the church in Jerusalem through a tumultuous time of persecution with a level of boldness and courage that is inspiring. Again, I can't put that on my resume. Pray I never have to. He goes on to write two books of the New Testament, and it's been said that the Gospel of Mark was likely written with Peter's oversight. And finally, he gave his life as a martyr for the faith in Rome being crucified upside down, insisting along the way, I am not worthy to be put to death the same way my Savior was. Crucify me upside down. Wow. Peter had his upside, his, his ups and downs, but he finished very well. A way we can all hope to someday. So with that being said, if you are alive this morning, and I see that most of you still are, then God isn't finished with you yet. God is still working in your life. God can still accomplish great things in and through your life. Your personal story is still being written. And it's not too late for any of us to take what God has given us and pour in to the next generation to disciple others with the exhortation we faithfully received last week. That we're not done yet. It's not too late to begin serving God in whatever capacity he has us in or to live with peace with God. So wherever you are this morning, experience the grace and forgiveness of our Lord and Savior this morning. Call upon his name. Ask for forgiveness of your failures, whatever they are. Whatever you heard as we're detailing these failures of Peter, whatever individually spoke to you, take that to the cross. Confess them yourself. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for restoration. And commit your ways to following him today. And the good news is he will answer. Whether it be for the first time that we pray a prayer like that or we ask for that level of forgiveness, Oh, or if you are that righteous person from Proverbs 24 we mentioned before, falls seven times and yet rises again. Wherever you are, please know that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Thanks be to God.